made for more. Now Jesus made an audacious claim regarding anyone who believed in him. He said, whoever believes will do the things he did and even greater things than he did. Now a normal response to that would be, really? Was he serious? Well, what does it look like? And perhaps most importantly, am I accountable for that? As we will see in today's study, the answer to that question is yes. Just like a farmer who plants a fruit tree expects for that tree to yield what it is designed to produce, when you're planted in Christ, there is fruit God expects to see. Today, Kenny Luck is going to explore a powerful moment in the lives of the disciples that would both disrupt and sharpen how they saw their present and future relationship with him. Now, before we get started, click share and invite your friends to join you. Now, let's join our study live from Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California. Good morning, guys. If you have a Bible, you're going to want to open it to Mark chapter 11. We're starting a new series this morning. It's called Made for More. Uh, but let's start with a question. How many of you guys know what a honeydew list is? All right. So it's a, it's a collection of requests, usually by a spouse, for a partner to perform maintenance tasks around the house. Okay? So in the fall, typically in my house, my wife goes to Lowe's and she buys a bag of bulbs. You guys know what those are? And, uh, you know, gladiolas or dahlias, they're, they're little brown bulbs, and you put them in the ground in the fall, and in the spring, poof, mysteriously, uh, they, they come into their own, they manifest their, their flowers. Very, if you're, a, if you're a, a gardener, it's very satisfying, right? And, uh, and in your relationship with Jesus, here's the segue, in your relationship with Jesus, when God plants his son inside of you, there is an expectation that something's going to happen. And Jesus talked about this with his disciples. In fact, in John 14, right before Jesus is going to go to the cross, uh, he talks about how whoever believes in him uh, will do the works that, that he was doing on earth. And on your notes right there at the top in John 14, he says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be what? Glorified in the Son. So there's the manifestation. Uh, upon belief in Jesus, God puts the Spirit of Christ into your life. He plants his own Son in your life, and then there is an expectation, Jesus is saying, you're going to do, you're going to manifest some things that I uh, have been doing. And in that context, ask, ask God to do those things in and through you, and the Father will be glorified, the world will see Jesus in you, and it'll be a witness to God. Now, drilling down on that theme. Whoever believes will do, planting and expecting. You know, yet the logical question is, well, what was Jesus like? What would the world see if God's Spirit's in me and I manifest Christ upon my belief? Well, the first thing that Jesus would, that, that people would see, write this down, is that Jesus was fearless. Write that down. In Mark 12, 14, Jesus' critics say about him, you're not swayed by men. You don't pay any attention to who they are. Why was that? 
because Jesus lived for an audience of one. He lived for the Father. In fact, he would reference the Father. He would say, you know, I do the Father's will. My food is to do the will of him who sent me, okay? Jesus was fearless before men. That's a clue to how people would see you. Whoever believes will do. Second, Jesus was free. Free to what? He was free to notice and serve others. In Matthew 11, verses 19, and then a little bit later, it says, The Son of Man, here the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And here is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's a glutton, he's a drunkard, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners, meaning that, that Jesus would, would, would touch and minister to people that were left out and that were the least and they were lost. So what does it look like? What would the world see in a believer in Jesus? He would see a man, they would see a man free to notice and serve other people. And they would actually judge that person because of the types of people that he was associating with. Third, Jesus was focused. Write that down. He was fearless, he was free, and he was focused. In John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, you know, um, he said, he said, night is coming. I said, while it is day, we must work the works of him who sent me, for night is coming when no man can work. So Jesus knew he came from God. Jesus knew he had a limited time. Jesus knew he was going back to God. And so when you have that dynamic going on, you've got to be focused. So what would the world see in a believer in Jesus Christ? A focused person who knows that they're, they, they, they were made by God they're made for God, and they're going back to God. There's an urgency to you walking here on planet Earth, just like Jesus. And then lastly, Jesus was faithful. In John 17, when he's debriefing right before he goes to the Father and to the cross, to the cross and then to the Father, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by accomplishing the work you have given me to do. And so we look at Jesus and we see his, his, plan, his expectation of whoever believes, and when we believe in Christ, God plants the spirit of his son inside of us. And he's saying, whoever believes will do the works that I've been doing. Now, that fearlessness, that freedom, that focus, and that faithfulness has many expressions in the life of Jesus. But that's, that's what the world saw in him. Question, what is the world seeing in us? What is the world seeing through us? And so the natural question uh, when Jesus says, whoever believes will do, is, is he serious? If I was a disciple and I was hearing those words, I'd go, whoa, 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 whoa. We were in the boat. You calmed the sea. Whoa. We, were, we saw what you did with the demonically possessed person. Whoa. We saw what you did with Jairus' daughter. You raised her from the dead. Whoa. You preached. You teached. You, you taught. You healed the sick. Wait, whoa. Is that what you're talking about? Well, Yeah. He was, he was that serious. And so the question is, well, how serious was he? And I want to bring us to a little bit, uh, a little vignette here in Mark 11, where Jesus is, has come into Jerusalem. He's coming on the donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah 9. It's the triumphal entry. And so the Passover celebration is going on in Jerusalem. Jesus is, has, has rode in on the donkey, and what happens is, is that Jesus will go in, and then he'll retreat with his disciples, he'll camp out, and then he'll go back in, 
for the celebration. I want to roll the film here in Mark 11 and then unpack this whole idea of Jesus expecting that the, the disciples' beliefs in him will produce fruit, that they're made for more. It says this in Mark 11, the next day they were, they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, okay, so they went into Jerusalem, they went back out to Bethany, and now they're going back in. Uh, they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. Now this, I don't know about you, but the first time I read this, I went, wow, Jesus got a lot of energy on this whole fig tree thing. All right, it's kind of peculiar, but, and and it's very personal uh, to him. But one thing you need to know is that if you're a disciple, the light bulbs would have went off in your mind when Jesus curses the fig tree. And the reason why is, is that God's relationship with Israel was one of the metaphors that was used throughout the Old Testament was as a planting, okay? Like the vineyard of the Lord is the nation of Israel, okay? And God's planting, he expects it to bear fruit and he's disappointed when it doesn't bear fruit. And so let's unpack the fig tree just on the face of it and then we'll go a little bit deeper. So what do we see in the whole fig tree episode, all right? First thing we see is the impression, okay? When a fig tree was in leaf, and I, I grew up, I had a fig tree in my backyard, okay? Huge leaves, and there was, you could tell when there were figs underneath the leaves because the leaves looked a certain way. So the impression is that there is fruit on this tree. It's not seasoned, but Jesus sees it, the disciples see it, and they go, oh, there's fruit on that tree. So the impression is it's a fruitful tree. Second thing we, we see is the inspection. Write that down. He went to find out if it had any fruit. So we have the impression, and then we have the inspection. Jesus is going to look and see, because he's hungry, if there's any fruit on it. And then third, here it is, is the revelation. Write that down. He found nothing but leaves. So there's an impression of fruit. There's the inspection. Hey, let's go take a look. And then, oh, you know, he goes to find it, found nothing but leaves. Now, when you are hungry and you lift up a leaf and you are expecting figs and there's no figs, what's the feeling that you have? Yeah, you're disappointed, right? And then there's a reaction. Okay, so there's disappointment. And then write this down, there's the reaction. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Wow. Now, again, if you're the disciples and you're watching Jesus do this, it's almost, it's as if Jesus is acting out Israel's history, okay? In the context of what is going on, the Passover celebration, Jesus coming in in the triumphal, and there's a lot of leaves in bloom. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of religious activity, okay? They go in, there's hosannas, there's, there's palm branches coming down, there's celebration, there's worship. A lot of leaves there. Then they pull out. And then Jesus sees that tree. This is a living metaphor for, man, I planted, I expected, but I'm disappointed. Now, uh, in the Old Testament, I put some verses on your notes because God's people in the Old Testament are described as a planting that God was expecting to bless the world, right? Look at what it says in Micah chapter 7, 
Verse 1, what misery is mine, God says. I'm like the one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat. Let's finish it together. None of the early figs that I crave. So God's using the agricultural metaphor to describe being a gardener who's planting, and when you're planting, you're what? Expecting. And he's like, I, I just don't see it. Okay, I planted, but, and I'm expecting, but there's none of the early figs. I could. This is the exact situation that the disciples actually are walking with Jesus. They're supposed to be early figs. The leaves are in bloom. He goes to find out. The impression is, is that this is a fruitful tree, but the inspection reveals this revelation, no fruit. And then it, it, it brings a reaction And Jesus' heart here with his disciples reflects the exact heart of God in the Old Testament with respect to his people. Look at what it says in Jeremiah 29. This metaphor is throughout uh, the prophets. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will make them like figs that are so bad they can't be eaten. Now, this is the next key line. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again by my servants the prophets, and you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. So there's the planting of truth, and there's, there, there's unreceptive soil. There's, there, there's just this, if you're looking at planting and expecting, in between there is listening. So God plants the spirit of his son inside of us. He sends truth to us. That truth is supposed to germinate in the soil of our hearts, transformation and righteousness and justice and Christ-likeness. And there's expect, God's expecting this manifestation. And man, it's like, oh, this is, this is disappointing. Okay? Because this is what you're made for. Now, when it comes to the men in the community of faith, God really dials in the men when it comes to planting and expecting. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, we get this planting image again. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So that's everybody. That's the whole community of faith, right? But look at what the Bible says. And the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. Thus he looked, key word, for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Now, why is the garden of his delight even meaningful in, in, through the prophet Isaiah? Because Isaiah was the prophet for the Babylonian exile. In Babylon, you had the hanging gardens, right? The hanging gardens of Nebuchadnezzar. And the hanging gardens and the whole garden metaphor was kings would bring visiting dignitaries or people they wanted to impress into the garden of their delight. And they would walk through the garden and they'd have kind of an entourage and they'd say, hey, you know, those plants are from here and those are plants from here. And it was sort of like pride and trophies. You know, these are my trophies. These are... And so when you see the, the language of Isaiah chapter 5 and it, and it says, uh, and the men of Judah were the garden of his delight. It's like the gardener comes to the garden and then he's looking for something to reflect his power in person, and he doesn't see it. And then we go back to the disciples, the fig tree, the leaves, the impression, right? There's fruit there, and then the disappointment that there wasn't. 
So what do we learn and what do we learn from this scene with the disciples and from this picture of God and his people? What does it tell us about God, right? Because we really have to get that. Right? What, what does this, this scene with the disciples and, and this, this picture of God planting and expecting tell us about him? Number one, write this down. God plants with intention. God plants with intention. When the Bible says that upon belief, God pours the spirit of his son into our hearts, Galatians 4, 6. Not on your notes, but that's the reference. When he pours the spirit, God plants with intention. Secondly, God, God is filled with expectation. In other words, in his heart and in his person, he's eager to see what happens in you. Like I'm looking at guys in this room and I'm seeing God has planted the spirit of his son in your heart and he's watching and tracking and looking for his character to manifest in you and he's seeing things happen. You know how happy that makes God as the gardener? It's like, that's what I made him for. I made him for more. And then third, God inspects what he expects. God inspects what he expects. Again, planting bulbs, it's mysterious, it's cool, it's satisfying. You know, Jesus walking with the disciples, you know, God planting his truth inside of us, his son, his truth that should transform us and manifest, and yet he's either delighted or he's disappointed. It's natural, it's normal, it's, it's human. So as we track down through this experience, uh, with the fig tree, in Mark chapter 11, in the, in the next set of little verses, right, you have the disciples going into Jerusalem with Jesus, watching this whole spectacle at Easter, and people are a lot of show, a lot of impression, a lot of leaves, and then they pull out, and then Jesus has the experience with the fig tree, and they're like, whoa, he just kind of acted out Israel's history now, guess what? They're going back in to Jerusalem, and we pick up the, the story in Mark eleven fifteen. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, watch this, and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, let's look at the guys who were invested in the leaves, okay, versus the fruit. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, let's finish it together, and began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So you have Jesus and the disciples going now back in. Is there a lot of hustle and bustle in the temple courts? Yes or no? Yes. Is there, is there a lot of activity? Yes. Is there a lot of energy? Yes. Okay. But is there a reflection from Jesus' perspective of the righteousness of God? No. They're pimping God for money. They're using God in his name to get selfish needs met. Power, influence, money, 
You know, they're using a relationship with God to benefit themselves, to benefit their own status, to, to make money. And so Jesus, of course, walking in, and remember the metaphor of the fig tree. What did he do when he saw the fig tree and it had no fruit? He cursed it. Why? Because he was expecting fruit, and he walks into this situation. So what did Jesus see? Write this down because it's germane to us. Jesus saw religious energy, okay, Passover celebration, excitement, Hosanna, right? Jesus saw religious community, right, that everybody's gathered, right? Jesus saw religious activity. So Jesus sees, listen to this, religious energy, religious community, and religious activity, and he's deeply angered and disappointed. Why? Because he expects more. Not the, not the self-serving attachment that people have to God, but something else. What did he really wanted to see? He wanted to see fruit that reflected him, the source. And what he saw did not reflect him. And so what we gather is that there's something more that's missing. That's why we're doing this series called Made for More. We really have to see the heart of God, and when he's planting, he's expecting. All right? Now, if you pick up the story after this, uh, we'll see that Jesus was looking for more than leaves. All right? When evening came, Mark 11, verses 19 to 25. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now, you would expect, just press the pause button on that. You would expect a normal reaction would be like, yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, and or, yeah, you saw what I did yesterday and you know why that is. I mean, you guys know the story of my people. Uh, instead, Jesus pivots. And instead of looking back, he's looking at this crop of new disciples who are going to change the narrative. They're going to change the story. They're, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna bear fruit. They're going to be his disciples. They're going to bear fruit. And listen to what he says. So look, the fig tree you curse has withered. Listen to Jesus' words. Let's, let's, let's read it together. All right, we'll read this passage together. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, Forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And here we have the key to fruitfulness. So Jesus is saying, whoever believes will do the works that I've been doing. All right, We will reflect the source. That's the more that you're made for in a relationship with God. And then we see Jesus, the seriousness of this, with Jesus and the disciples and the cursing of the fig tree. And the, the replaying of Israel's history and the disappointment of God. No, no early figs that he craves. And then you see him going in 
to in and amongst his people, and he's disappointed, and he's reacting, all right? A lot of activity, a lot of hustle and bustle, a lot of energy, a lot of religious community, right? But there's, there's, it's not reflecting him. Instead, it's, it's a self-serving kind of faith where God almost follows them. They don't follow God. And then they pull out again, and they're walking by, and Peter says, look. And then Jesus turns, and he casts vision for you and me and for the disciples. And what is he talking about? He's saying, you know what? Yeah, it is withered by the roots, but that's not going to be you. You're going to bear fruit. How? Write this down. By risking big and my faith. By risking big my faith. Have faith in God. How much faith? Faith that would move a mountain. Faith that would do God-sized things. Faith that would do miracles. Faith that would cast out demons. Faith that, faith that would heal the sick. Faith that would save people. Faith that would change relationships. That kind of faith. I mean, he doesn't go small. It's like, have faith in God, and then he gives this little metaphor. He's like, no, see that mountain right there? If you pray and you don't doubt in your mind, that's going into the sea. Why? Because I'm bigger than that mountain. Some of you maybe have a mountain in this room. And Jesus has planted his spirit inside of you. And he's expecting something to manifest. And what he's looking for is faith in him. Why? Because he's bigger. Your life in God will never outperform the size of your God. Just remember that. Your life in God will never outperform the size of your God. If your God's little, you'll pray little. If your God's, if your God's not interested or uninvolved in the activities that you're in, involved in, then you'll pray small prayers. You won't bring them into the mix. But if your God is sovereign and is the maker of all things and the maker of heaven and earth, and he's wise and he loves you and he has your best interest in mind, you will pray big prayers. You will risk big in your faith. Can I just encourage you? If you want to bear fruit, if you want, don't want to be one of those, those trees that, that has a lot of leaves and activities but no fruit, do the thing that God's calling you to do that you fear doing. Want to know why? Because your fear will be replaced with faith. I got to tell you something. In this whole men's enterprise worldwide, God's calling uh, us, me, you, the movement to do something that is so big a worldwide revival, a spirit-empowered revival of men. All the people watching out there online, you're involved in it. It's so big. We can't do it unless our God is big, unless there's a lot of power behind that vision. But it's happening. It's happening. So risk big in your faith. What's the thing that you don't feel like doing that you fear doing? What is it? Do that. Pray about that. Have faith in God. Yeah, it might seem like a mountain, but you know what? The obstacle is the way to see God manifest in your life. Second, what we see as Jesus pivots and starts casting vision with the disciples, like, no, there's more in you than what has happened in the past, is first, it's risk big in your faith. Second, risking big in my prayer kind of goes together. There's prayer, and then there's acting on your prayers, and it's all prayer. Okay, I'm a living prayer. I'm acting on my prayer. Right? Again, big God, big prayers. 
Don't doubt. Look at God. Look at what he did. It's the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same God who's coming again. It's the same God who's commissioned us to get involved in this enterprise called the kingdom of God. And in our context, with our relationships, at our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, with our community of faith, we're called to pray and risk big in prayer. What was the riskiest prayer you've prayed lately? Does it reflect the size of your God? Where you look at your life and you go, hmm, wow, God could really do something great with that. I'm going to pray big prayer and even invite others to pray with me. I don't know what your obstacle is. But Jesus says, have faith in God. Whatever the mountain is, pray on that. Watch me go to work. And it may not even involve you being the answer. He might bring someone else into your life, partners, people, to see the miracle happen. Third, what we see Jesus saying to disciples, risk big in my faith, risk big in my prayer. And then here's the last one, which is so interesting but practical. Risking big in my relationships with others. It's like, you know what? I want you to have faith and I want miracles to happen. I want you to believe God for big things. But if this isn't okay, we're not okay. If this isn't okay, go take care of this before you come to talk to me about this. Wow. I bet you there's a few of us in the room and a few people watching online right now where this isn't okay. But you think this is okay. Well, God knows that this isn't okay. And your prayers are being hindered. In fact, if you're a husband and you're not okay with your wife, let me encourage you to read 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands, you must live with your wives in an understanding way. You must honor your wives. You must live with them in an understanding way. Otherwise, your prayers will be hindered. Wow. That's convicting. Is this okay? Because if you think when this is not okay, this can be okay, you got another thing coming. That's God's daughter. Okay? I know I have two daughters. Anybody have daughters? If anyone was mistreating my daughter, they're dealing with me. Right? There's something between us. And imagine if someone, a boyfriend, was mistreating my daughter, and then he came to ask me for stuff when I knew he was mistreating my daughter? Are you kidding me? It's not just husbands and wives. It's in your relationships with others. You see, you can forgive because Jesus forgave you. You can, you, you can do that. You're free to do that. Why? Because you were forgiven. You were in a position where you were powerless and you were guilty. And, you were, and God said, guess what? I forgive you. And I, we can start this relationship over. And we can start with a clean slate. And you can start with a clean slate with God. And live in that, that freedom. So Jesus, it's so interesting. It's like, no, this is the more you were made for. More faith, more prayer, more abundance in your relationships. That's the fruit that he's talking about. This, this kind of turns the table. Like what was, what was lost in the past is now going to be gained by men who are filled with his spirit. So I need us to look at, well, what's the difference between leaves and fruit? All right? Leaves are less and fruit is more. You're made for more. So leaves would be words, okay, leaves, without ways. Right? Talk is cheap. Words without ways. Yeah. If I ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Oh, yeah. 
I am following you. Yep. All right. So let's 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 walk let's walk around with you unplugged with a little hidden camera and see what your ways are. Okay? Cuz words need ways in order for to live the the more that that Jesus is calling to. There's beliefs and then there's behaviors, kind of similar. Okay? Behaviors reflect beliefs, your true beliefs. Okay? It's not your beliefs. Like I could if you ask me, do you believe this, this and this about Jesus and that this is the right way? I go, yes, yes, yes and yes, but then my behaviors would really reflect my true beliefs and if there was a disconnect, you'd go, well, you don't really believe that then. Okay? So, leaves are beliefs Fruit is the behaviors that reflect beliefs, all right? Leaves are intentions. You know, in this room right here, there is a boatload of good intentions. Out there, everybody watching online, there is a boatload, a tanker filled with good intentions. Man, if I could just do this, if I could just do that. But that's leaves. Actions are the fruit. Intentions without actions. That's where it all comes together. There's an impression and then there's a revelation of actions. Next, there's Christ's name, and then there's Christ's likeness. Okay? 700 million men on the planet name Christ's name. But is there Christ's likeness? Is there the fruit where fruit always reflects the source? Okay? It's, it's by default. Like, you never see fruit trying. Like, I'm trying to be a banana. No. The, the tree is working out what's already worked in. Right? The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What God has planted in you, it should be just, it should be coming out. Christ's likeness should be coming out. Then, lastly, there's affiliation and then there's activation. Like I said, there's a lot of people who name the name of Jesus. But man, evil would be losing if, if the hundreds of millions of men who name the name of Jesus were activated and filled with his spirit and living out Christ's character and conduct in the, in the small and the big spaces of their lives. So there's a disconnect. But I'll, I'll just tell you, for this garden of God's delight and for the community of people around the world who participate in this community here and we're connected, all right, as men of God, when God comes to check on his garden of delight, I want him to look for righteousness and find it. Not hear cries of distress, like it says in Isaiah, to look for justice, all right? And not see, and to find it and not see bloodshed and suffering. You see, guys, this is so important for the culture at this moment that we not just be casting off impressions and, and manifesting leaves but no fruit because the world is waiting to see spirit empowered masculinity. The world's waiting to see it, dying to see it, right? Now, here's a nice close to today's study. The title of it is, It's Fig Time, all right? Imagine the delight of Jesus seeing the big leaves and the impression and then going to find out and the revelation being, wow, this is awesome, all right? We see it in the book of Acts. We see fig time in the book of Acts. We see spirit-empowered men manifesting the fruit. And we see a nice vignette of that in Acts chapter 4. The world is witnessing what is happening through men filled with the Spirit of Christ. When they, the people witnessing, saw the courage, circle that, saw the courage 
of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had what? So they're seeing the manifestation. God planted, he expected, the world is seeing. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing, with their, standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So two guys filled with God's spirit, the spirit of God's son planted in them, they're in their context going between a prayer meeting and church and they see a need and they step into that space and they meet the need. They pray for that man. The, the, the greater works of Jesus manifest through these two guys, ordinary, unprofessional, but believing men who have faith in God to move mountains. And this lame man who had been lame for decades is healed, okay? And the whole town hears about it. So that happened. They haul him in. And now they're talking amongst each other. What do we do? What do we do? The, the passage goes on. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then con conferred together. Let's finish it together. Ready? What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. Planting and what? Expecting. Jesus planted for three years in the lives of these men. He walked with them. He talked with them. He showed them how to do life. He put the truth of God inside of them. He cast a vision. He said, you're going to have faith in God. You're going to move mountains. Your relation, you're going to be different. You're going to be the light of the world. You're going to shine your light before men in such a way that they're going to see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And you know what? Spirit-empowered men won the city of Jerusalem. Look at those words. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows. Wow. There's... There's a good number of guys in this room. There might be a good number of guys at your table. There were 12, man, right here. So, say this with me. I am planted to produce. I'm planted to produce. God has planted his son inside of me. And when you're planting, you're expecting a manifestation of what? Read, read Galatians 5.22. Love. Joy. Peace patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's the character of Jesus. And when you have the character of Jesus, you have the conduct of Jesus. One is an expression of the other. So you're planted to produce. And when we manifest what God has planted in us, the world will see. Men, I'm telling you, right now, the world needs to see spirit-empowered masculinity. Because what they see, they've labeled. It's toxic. Give men strength, give them power, give them wealth, give them influence, and they'll abuse it. But not, not as a Christian, right? God's planted his son in us. And when that happens, the world can see 
a movement of men, and it's happening, and you're a part of it. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you so much for this very peculiar, but now very personal study to us. Lord, we're made for more. We're made for more. There's an expectation in you that the more of the Spirit planted in us, the Spirit of the living Christ, would manifest in fearlessness, in focus, in faithfulness. Lord, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for sharing your heart with us this morning. You're not interested in the leaves or the perception or the titles or or anything else. You're interested in what our faith is trusting you with and moving against fear to do the thing that faith is calling us to do. And you're interested in how how we see you and, and if we see you as big, we'll pray big. You just want to be who you are in our lives, which is big. So God, I pray that you would give us a fresh vision, Lord. That you would just etch a sketch, whatever false vision that we've had of you and replace it with an accurate vision of God. Where you're creator and you're loving and you're wise and you're trustworthy and you have our best interests in mind. And then God, thank you that, that Jesus, you said, if, if it's not going well with people, it's not going well with you. And the call to reconciliation in our relationships. Father, I know that, that in this room and people watching online, there's relationships that need repair. And I pray for each man that you would give him the faith and courage to trust you to repair as far as it is possible for him to repair his relationships. And that that, would glorify you. So Lord, increase our faith, increase our prayer, increase our health in relationships and help help us not to be leaves men, but to be fruit men. Lord, thank you that you have called us to more. Help us to manifest your presence in this world right now for your glory in Christ's name and all God's men said, amen.